The Week in Doubt, episode 271. Oh boy. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And if you couldn't tell, I'm sick as the proverbial dog. Why a dog? I don't know. But anyway, so my immune system put up a valiant effort. I've been surrounded by sick people for a few weeks now. (sighs) But... Alas, I've finally succumbed to whatever it is that's going around, some kind of brutal cold or something. I was almost going to just re-release an old episode, but then I thought, uh, what the heck, I'm just hanging around here rotting, might as well do something and try to get something out there for you guys. So uh, I guess some shout-outs first. So a shout-out to Robert Al Pacino for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. I'm a fan of both your movies, and it's good to see that you're uh, of one flesh now. And then also, I'd like to uh, give a shout-out to... uh, I don't know if they want to be named on the air, because I know that they go by an alias on their own show. So I'm just going to thank someone. Um, Hopefully you know who you are for also liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. Okay, so some corrections. Remember a couple episodes back, I was discussing a story about the Church of Sweden and the gender of God, and uh, I went into the Old Testament and discussed some of the terms used for God and what gender they imply, and I specifically mentioned a phrase involving the word Elohim. And I got it right the second time, but the first time I butchered it. So the Hebrew for in the beginning God created is Bereshit bara Elohim. The first time around I accidentally said Bereshbit bara Elohim. So uh, maybe that's one of those neurotic things that you might think I might be um, nitpicking a bit, but you know how I get about that stuff. Uh, I want to make sure I issued that correction. That I think uh, an episode or two before that, at one point, just a slip of the tongue, it was yet another unscripted episode, as is this one. I accidentally referred to Roy Moore as Ray Moore. Uh, not going to lose any sleep on his account, but I once again, I think it's good to uh, be factually correct. Ah, and well, we're on the subject of names. And of course, last week, the guys from the Free Thought Prophet podcast were good enough to have me on, Seamus and uh, John Hamill. And I brought up a friend and listener, and I accidentally butchered his name. His name is, of course, Randall Nathan Shapiro. I think I inverted the first two names and referred to him as Nathan Randall Shapiro, So um, my apologies, my friend. Uh, And I really do consider you guys that I refer to as friends and listeners as as that, as sincerely as friends and also my listeners. Uh, I really appreciate when you guys reach out to me, when you interact with me online. I've heard some people on YouTube recently argue as to whether or not you can actually have quote-unquote, online friends, and some people even scoff at the idea. But I, th- I think you can have uh, true online friends. They might not be able to come uh, and find you on the highway in the middle of the night and uh, change a tire for you if they're living on the other side of the globe. But, you know, you have things in common. You confide in one another, uh, share anecdotes, make each other laugh or whatever. I think that counts as friendship. Okay, so a couple of times on the show now, 
I've mentioned this uh, celestial Jesus that Richard Carrier talks about. And if you're not aware, Richard Carrier, PhD, is an atheist activist and a uh, scholar of ancient history and religion, uh, specializes in the uh, the field, uh, for lack of a better word, of mythicism, the idea that there never was a historical Jesus or that Jesus was inspired by earlier or neighboring uh, myths of dying and rising gods, that kind of thing. And this actually brings me to a, another correction or clarification. Did my voice just uh, crack like Peter Brady? So on the heels of my interview with the Free Thought Prophet podcast, uh, they were good enough to sit down with me and, and record an episode of The Week in Doubt. And if you listen back to that episode, there's a part where it might be a little confusing. It sounds like we're talking about a specific religious scholar, but no name is given. And um, that was Richard Carrier. A bit of that conversation was lost. But yes, that was Richard Carrier we were uh, talking about. And as I stated in that episode and um, numerous times before, I pretty much consider myself to be kind of a fence-sitter on the issue of mythicism. As I was telling Seamus and John, I can easily see there actually being a, a historical Jesus, some charismatic leader who ended up getting crucified, or a composite figure based on different historical figures, wandering wonder workers, that type of thing. Or I could see the whole thing being mythical, as the mythicists do, and being based on earlier neighboring uh, dying and rising god myths or, or whatever. But I take a pretty careful or sober approach to the whole thing, or at least I like to think I do, I try to weigh the claims of so-called mythicists with some caution and healthy skepticism. And I've often criticized the Charya or Karya S, I forget how you pronounce it, uh, the late D.M. Murdoch. And uh, I've criticized um, the documentary Zeitgeist, which is, uh, at least the first portion has to do with religion, is, is based on uh, some of her work, I believe. Uh, Richard Carrier, whatever you may think of him, Outside the realm of scholarship, there's been drama surrounding him here and there online. Um, but as a scholar, I, I do admire his work and I respect what he's doing. And I think he takes a kind of sober and well-researched approach to the topic. And he often talks about this celestial Jesus that supposedly existed before the time of the quote-unquote historical Jesus, this kind of divine being that also bore the name uh, Jesus. And that always seemed kind of weird to me because I think Jesus is just a variation of uh, Yeshua or Joshua, a very uh, or fairly common name at the time. So it'd almost be like having a celestial entity named Brad or something. I don't know. Um, I don't know how that works out, uh, especially... But given Carrier's fairly credible reputation as a scholar, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm open to the idea. And I know it sounds so batshit crazy that I'm afraid you guys are going to think that, you know, I accidentally took a bunch of uh, psilocybin mushrooms or that, uh, you know, the last cylinder in my head finally went or something. But uh, and I've talked about how I want to devote a whole episode to this topic. But I figured just for now, I'd read a little bit from you guessed it, Wikipedia. And here's a stub on the uh, celestial Jesus. 
Carrier asserts that originally, and here, here's a quote, this is in his words, Jesus was the name of a celestial being subordinate to God with whom some people hallucinated conversations. And, and also in quotes, the gospel began as a mythic allegory about the celestial Jesus set on earth, as most myths then were. <laughs> I have a little trouble with my THs, probably because my tongue is coated and God knows what. But <laughs> too much information, sorry. Okay, then, so the uh, the quote ends and it continues. Stories were created that placed Jesus on earth in context with historical figures and places. Eventually, people began to believe that these allegorical stories were real. That has a couple of bullet points. A celestial being subordinate to God. Carrier notes Jesus was originally a god, just like any other god, properly speaking, a demigod in pagan terms, an archangel in Jewish terms, in either sense a deity who is later historicized. There's another bullet point. Hallucinated conversations. Carrier gives example Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, who declared that he had conversations with the angel Moroni. Earl Doherty originated the premise that Jesus originated as a myth per Middle Platonism, with some influence from Jewish mysticism, and that the belief in a historical Jesus emerged only among Christian communities in the second century. I should probably quickly add, in case anything sounds a bit different here, I am recording on my laptop once again because my Mac Mini is experiencing some technical issues, to say the least. Uh, but at least this time, I'm using my faithful Blue Yeti mic, so hopefully there aren't any uh, volume issues. But I'll continue. Darty asserts that Paul the Apostle and other writers of the earliest existing proto-Christian Gnostic documents did not believe in Jesus as a person who was incarnated on earth in an historical setting. Rather, they believed in Jesus as a heavenly being who suffered his sacrificial death in the lower spheres of heaven, where he was crucified by demons and then was subsequently resurrected by God, see dying and rising God. This mythological Jesus was not based on a historical Jesus, but rather on an exegesis of the Old Testament in the context of Jewish Hellenistic religious syncretism, heavily influenced by Middle Platonism, and what the authors believe to be mystical visions of a risen Jesus. Carrier reviewed Doherty's work in 2002, concluding that Doherty's thesis was plausible. However, Carrier had not yet concluded it was probably more true than the minimal historicity thesis. He also noted that some of Doherty's points were untenable and that only his core thesis was at least coherent with the evidence. Carrier remained a historicity agnostic until he began formal research on Jesus' ahistoricity theory in 2008, which eventually convinced him that the evidence actually favored the core Doherty theory thesis. Okay, so just so you guys don't think I'm delusional, that's what I'm uh, referencing when I talk about this uh, Jesus before Jesus idea. Whether there's enough out there to merit a whole episode, we'll see. Maybe, uh, you know, I'll put that on the back burner and get around to it someday. Okay, so I thought I'd do at least one news story. And I know some of you guys out there aren't big Young Turks fans. I don't know what exact proportion of my audience are or aren't. Um, but hey, what do I, what do I get to lose? No matter what I do, I'm gonna, uh, bother someone. So, uh, I've mentioned a bunch of times on the show how The Young Turks is one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. I think The Young Turks and Brian Dunning's Skeptoid. When I first even discovered what a podcast was, you know, I think those were the first two I downloaded. And I considered myself a really big Young Turks fan for a long time, um... I got kind of disillusioned with them when it came to their coverage of stories having to do with Islam. 
And uh, so I kind of moved away from them for a bit, especially after that blowout between Sam Harris and Jank Uger. But once in a while, I'll still check in with them. And uh, when Islam isn't being discussed a lot of the time, I actually uh, find myself still agreeing with what they have to say. And they, um, they published a clip where they're talking about one of these prosperity gospel preachers, kind of in the vein of a Joel Olstein. Uh, this one's name is Paula White, and it turns out she's also a religious advisor to Donald Trump. And so it seems she was trying to convince her, I don't know what you would call them, listeners, parishioners, I don't know, into giving her up to the entirety of their first month's salary or earnings of the new year, of the first month of the new year, this January. And so uh, I guess I'll let the uh, the Young Turks take it away. Donald Trump has a religious advisor. If you can recall, her name is Paula White, and she is one of these people who uh, has gotten incredibly wealthy through the po- prosperity gospel. She essentially uh, lies to a bunch of people and scams them into giving her a lot of money. And 2018 is no exception. Uh, she is now pushing for something known as first fruits. Which- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really weird, That's but what Roy Moore wanted. But I'll, we'll explain what it is. Um, I'm trying not to. Let's not go off the rails here. Okay. okay let's okay. talk about what first fruits really are. So uh, Paula White is urging her followers to donate a first fruits offering of up to their entire salary for the month of January to enjoy blessings for the rest of the year, or suffer the consequences of failing to follow God's command. So here's what she told her parishioners. Each January, I put God first and honor him with the first of our substance by sowing a first fruits offering of one month's pay. That is a big sacrifice, but it is a seed for the harvest I am believing for in the coming year. And God always provides, what? You better provide after you've given up a 12th of your salary. The difference between, and so she also differentiates between those who tithe and those who uh, contribute for the first fruit. Uh, (laughs) Also, it's January, right after the Christmas month when everybody spent more than they could probably afford. I I mean, wow, okay, so the difference between tithe, this is her speaking. The difference between uh, tithe and first fruit, first fruit is all of it. All of what? Well, if you want to bring God all of one day's salary, one week's salary, or one month's salary, that's between you and God. I try to bring a month's salary, but at the very least, every year I give God a week's salary. Like she's trying to convince people to give her a significant portion of their yeah. pay. And we're not talking about rich people. Like she's not hanging out with the Koch brothers and, you know, asking for, you know, they maybe a calls. thousand bucks at the beginning of the No, she's yeah. like these parishioners are not wealthy people and she's totally taking advantage of them. She also says God claims the first of all things, it rightfully belongs to him. So why are you telling your parishioners to give you money? Because mm. you're not God. And so I think Anna was spot on there. That was actually my big question. Who made you God's money manager? (laughs) Why should uh, all these people be giving you money? And that is a heck of a sacrifice for most people. I mean, whether it's a whole week's pay or a whole month's pay. I mean, for most of us, that would be quite the, uh, the sacrifice. 
And I guess another big question I would have would be, what exactly is she doing with the money? I mean, is she building some gargantuan, garish cathedral? Uh, Is she uh, adding on to her mansion, Uh, (laughs) treating herself to a couple of new cars or whatever? Or does she really do a significant amount of charity work? And would this money actually be going to good causes? Um, And even if that's the case, still, how much of this money is going directly into her personal coffers? And increasing was probably an already lavish lifestyle. It also made me think of um, that George Carlin routine. God needs money. He always needs money. He he can make the whole universe, but money just can't seem to hold on to it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess, you know, once again, that's the big question. If she was taking all that donated money, save for enough to, uh to maybe keep her lights on or something like that, you know, and was using it to help the sick and the needy. Uh, I would I would say, all right, you know, um, I still think that would be quite an imposition to ask of people to give up a week or a month's salary. But but something tells me that's probably not the case. I'm, I'm sure a good deal of it probably goes into her personal coffers for her personal use. It is called the prosperity gospel, after all. And this is Wikipedia, too. Prosperity theology, sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, or the gospel of success, is a religious belief among some Christians who hold that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. Wow. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't there an or else in there too? Like, give your first fruits to the Lord or else. Wow. According to uh, Google, her net worth is $5 million. And there are a few different results when I Googled Paula White, uh, house, mansion, whatever. In fairness to her, I'm not sure if any of those image results are actually authentic or not. But if so, uh, it looks like she's doing all right in that department, too. I I would imagine a good percentage of her income must go to uh, hair and makeup. Holy crap. I'll uh, I'll include a picture in the YouTube version. I imagine there's got to be something in the Bible about modesty. But uh, let's see. So I'm going to the Weekend Out Facebook page to see if I can find anything uh, entertaining. (laughs) It's a cute little image I found on Twitter. How to become an atheist. Three easy steps. One, pick any God besides your own. Two, give reasons why you don't believe in it. Three, apply now same reasons to your own God. Let's see. Um, oh, and I've covered stories over the years about uh, Bill Donahue, the notorious Bill Donahue of the Catholic League. So here's a story from uh, Patheos. Bill Donahue... The Catholic Church is a quote-unquote model for handling sexual misconduct. And this is dated January 10th, uh, 2018. So today, okay. Yeah, so it was either a toss-up between this or an old story about a giant seven-foot crucified frog. Uh, Don't worry, the frog was a sculpture. But uh, so, yeah. And this is by Hemant Mehta. 
It's good to let's see if I can make it through this with my voice. Uh, speaking of frogs, it's good to see Hollywood and many other industries coming to terms, albeit slowly, with their sexual harassment problems. But Bill Donahue of the Catholic League has some advice for them. If they want to navigate the issue properly, they should really look to an organization that has done everything right regarding abuse, the Catholic Church. The clergy sexual abuse scandal in the Catholic Church made headline news in 2002, even though most of the offenses took place from the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s. Over the past decade and a half, the Church launched many new policies to check this problem. The result being a dramatic reduction in cases of abuse. Indeed, there is no institution in the nation today, religious or secular, that has a better record in dealing with sexual misconduct than the Catholic Church. So I guess this must be a quote from Bill Donahue. Uh, definitely doesn't sound like Hemet Mehta. Um, and it continues, The Catholic Church's policies on sexual misconduct provide a model for all organizations and professions. It is high time it received credit for the progress it has made. More important, those who have been its harshest critics need to learn from what it has accomplished and start instituting policies that mirror those of the Church. That has a gif of uh, Seth MacFarlane on Jimmy Fallon uh, doing a spit take. Yes, the industries where victims were afraid to speak out for fear of retribution and who are finally and courageously telling their stories should follow the lead of the institution that allowed pedophiles to simply transfer churches for decades. If the church's problem has finally abated, it's because a lot of those culprits are dead. No one should ever look to the Catholic Church for moral guidance when it's the same organization that continues to fight LGBTQ rights, treats birth control as kryptonite, and won't allow women in leadership roles. And Donahue, as usual, is lying about the church's record. Just last year, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse in Australia noted that 7% of priests who worked in Australia between 1950 and 2009 had been accused of child sexual abuse. The problem didn't just magically stop in the mid-1980s. It's still happening, just less so than before. But when you go from a failing grade to a D-, minus, you don't deserve a victory parade. Well, well said, Hemet. Okay. And I might call that a wrap. I just feel absolutely miserable. Um, I hope I don't sound too delirious. This was an unscripted episode. I hope uh, someone out there enjoys it. So this has been The Week in Doubt. As always, thanks for listening. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. If you want, follow the show on Twitter. Please check out the YouTube channel. If you do, please like or subscribe. Um, let's see. If you want to help the show monetarily, you can use the uh, PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. And there's also a Patreon-esque feature on the Podbean uh, site now, too, where you can become a patron through there, or you can use patreon.com slash theweekendout and donate as little as 99 cents a month. And uh, <clears throat> not looking for any Paula White money, not looking for the first week or first month's paycheck of the year. Uh, <laughs> as I said, 99 cents a month. Uh you know, or whatever you feel like giving and you can quit anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. Mm -hmm.